Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone. This is Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. I apologize to every one of you who were expecting me to uh, broadcast last week um, as uh, those who did listen to my program a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my old PC finally conked out <laughs> on me, so I had to get another one. I already had another one, but I had to go. Uh, and, you know, as a backup, I had to go and... Uh, set it up, and for those who are familiar with doing that, it takes a considerable amount of time. Then I had to also reinstall uh, my um, Bible computer software program that I use to refer to scriptures that I don't remember right away and so forth. So it it took some preparation. But I'm back, God willing, and I will continue to uh, give these Bible studies every week for at least 60 minutes until I can't do it anymore. So... The Torah readings for today are the following. Uh, For the Torah portion is uh, Genesis chapter 41, starting in verse 1, to Genesis chapter 44, verse 17. The Haftarah section, or the Prophets section, is 1 Kings chapter 3, verses uh, 15, to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. And then 1 Kings chapter 7, to verses... 1 Kings chapter uh, 3... No, it's 1 Kings chapter 7. I'm sorry, 1 Kings chapter 7, verses 40 to 50. And the Brit Chadashah, or the Renewed Covenant uh, Scriptures, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. So, But before I get into that, I, I did um, state that I would actually talk about some very significant events uh, that is going on in the world if I really feel that it needs to be spoken of, and it does, um, Korea and South Korea and North Korea are acting up again. I don't know if many people realize this, but that battle, that war, has not really ended. It was just uh, some type of agreement not to to fight each other. But uh, they have, the United States has always had troops there since the 1950s. The the, the, uh, demilitarization zone, that's what they call it there. And... um, Right now, if you've been paying attention to the news, there's been uh, heightened um, tension. Both sides are, are, are talking to each other, saying what they're going to do if this happens or that happens and so forth. And then uh, the United States uh, would like China to get involved and so forth. 
So we, we ought to keep an eye on that because that, that could really escalate things, as Christ stated here. Uh, if you turn to Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 1, it says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And verse 2, And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, which is right across from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of your coming? So what's going to happen for us to know that you're coming back? And, of course, they're talking about his second coming. And the end of the world, or the end of this age, or the end of civilization as we know it. Verse 4. And Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the first thing he stated, Take heed that no man deceive you or trick you. And verse 5, and the reason why is because many shall come in his name, or Christ's name, saying, I am the Messiah, and shall deceive many. Verse 6, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of war. This is the scripture I wanted to emphasize in the context of the North Korea and South Korea uh, scenario. You shall hear of wars. So he's telling everyone who wants to believe that we shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. And right now we're hearing of rumors of wars in reference to the North Korea, South Korea situation that could end up being a war. But he also noticed that he stated that we would hear of wars, so there will be wars among the rumors of wars. And he states in this context that we should not be troubled or have a great anxiety when, when, when we see these things. He says, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. The end of what? The end of man's rule or trying to rule himself. And verse 7, for nation shall rise against nation, and that word nation in the Greek should be family or tribe. And then, and kingdom against kingdom. Now, we know what that's talking about, countries against countries, nations against nations. And there shall be famine. So that's the first thing that usually occurs in, in, the, in, in a war situation, famine, and pestilences. And of course, if you're not eating properly, then you get diseases because your body breaks down. And earthquakes in various places. And he states that these are all the beginning of sorrows. Now, we've had... Quite a few earthquakes, um, some powerful earthquakes uh, recently. And right now we're going through a worldwide famine, whether people realize it or not. Uh, the Eurozone uh, is totally in debt right now. Uh, they're talking about bailout monies, if you've been paying attention to the news. Uh, the United States, the, the value of our dollar is uh, going down, 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 because we're printing money out of thin air. Uh, what they call monetarizing or um, easing, and that's not uh, going to to do. Let's put it this way: it's not quantitative easing. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, that is not going to solve the problem. It's only going to escalate the problem and cause inflation. As many experts, uh, including Gerald Salente and and other people that are credible, uh, emphasize. And what I want 
people to understand is this. You live in a world today where, in particular in the United States, where people, they're more focused on pleasure than helping other people. They're more focused on not working hard. I've heard the phrase, work smarter, not harder. Well, you should work smarter and harder, but that phrase is a little, you know, work smarter, not harder. Uh, People don't want to work hard, and they don't want to work at all, you know, uh, because there's there's pain or stress involved. And, and see, what people don't understand, let's, let's turn to Genesis here. As I was explaining to my son the other day, I might as well explain to you. Uh, Genesis chapter um, 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. This is the, you know, there was curses to the woman uh, because she uh, had sinned, and also there's a curse to the man as well. And I don't think we as men really understand <laughs> the, the curse that is upon us because of what Adam did, that's in, that we inherited in each generation. And in Genesis uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 17, God stated to Adam, and read this in the King James Version, and to Adam, he said, because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife. So, men, that means sometimes our wives obviously don't know what they're talking about, and we need to be strong and not listen to their voice every time. Now, some men take this voice out of, I mean, take the voice, take the scripture out of context and say, well, I should listen to my wife at all. No, it's not saying that. It's just, it's saying that when you know your wife is wrong, when she's leading you on the wrong path, and this is for anyone, including your wife, you shouldn't listen to them. So that's what he, that's what he means here. He says, because you have hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and has eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, you shall not eat of it, curse is the ground for your sake, and toil shall you eat of it all the days of the, thy life. Thorns also, now that word toil, let's, let's look that up here and find out what that means in the original uh, Hebrew that it was written in. He says, in uh, toil... you eat of it for the rest of your life. Okay, where is... I, I trying to find what I just read here. <laughs> All right, uh, and to Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. And sorrow shall thou eat of it all the day. I don't know where I got toil at. <laughs> anyway, and sorrow, okay? And that word sorrow, I need to look that word up. It means worries, being worried or worrisomeness, that is labor or pain. So in great, that does mean toil. <laughs> okay, so great toil, pain. So in pain shall we eat all the days of our life. So that's that's saying that our work, unfortunately, men, is going to be painful. And for some women who have to work as well, it's going to be in pain. And it's not going to be pleasurable. That's the curse, ladies and gentlemen. 
unfortunately. That's what he says here. All right, and in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 3, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and you shall eat the herb of the field. And the sweat of thy face, and sweat means perspiration, so with great effort shall you eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it you were taken, for thus thou art, and thus shalt thou return. So it doesn't mean that we can't enjoy our work. It's just what it's saying, ladies and gentlemen, is that when you work, you're going to experience pain, that through great effort, you're going to be able to be blessed. Through great effort, you're going to be able to enjoy the fruits of your labor. That's what it's saying. And many men today, I don't think, realize what God cursed us with. And the curse is that it's going to take um, greater effort than what it should have to produce the necessities of life. If we didn't sin, then we wouldn't have to work as hard. But unfortunately, because of that, we have to work hard from the sweat of our face, from the sweat of our brow, according to the Scripture. So I just wanted to point that out, that we we under, understand why we have to work with great effort to get obtained the necessities of life. It wasn't meant to be so. It's because of sin. So I just wanted to point that out. But getting back to what I uh, am trying to emphasize here. So we have this situation with Korea, both Koreas, North and South Korea. Uh, we have this great economic, um, they call it a recession. I'm going to call it the beginning stages of a, of a depression, a worldwide depression. Uh, if you look at the stats on the Economic uh, Policy Institute, which I highly recommend that you refer to, uh, it's the Economic Policy Institute. Their slogan is Research and Ideas for Shared Prosperity. And the headline to one of their articles on the website is uh, www.e as an elephant, p as in paul, i as in it.org. Uh, the headline states, news from EPI, colon, continue the thought, 17% of workers cannot find the amount of work they want. And this is for immediate release, December 1st. Contact Phoebe Silag or Karen Connor. It says, December marks the third anniversary of the start of the Great Recession, or the beginning stages of the Great Depression. Uh, emphasis mine, I added that. Even though the recession officially ended well over a year ago, I totally disagree with that. Uh, we still have recessionary and beginning depressionary stages right now. Unemployment as well as underemployment, and people don't really focus on underemployment. Underemployment is having a job that is below what your skills and abilities can produce. In other words, you're underpaid, which is a form of oppression. Anyway, as well as underemployment remain well above pre-recession levels. So the current unemployment rate of 9.6% does not reflect the millions of people. Actually, it's 9.8%, as I'm going to prove to you uh, from another article I'm going to read to you. But 9.6% does not reflect the millions of people who are working part-time because they cannot find full-time work or those marginally attached workers who are able and want to work but are so discouraged they have given up looking. 
these three categories comprise the under underemployed. Okay, so what is the underemployed? Uh, millions of people who are working part-time because they cannot find full-time work or those marginally attached workers who are able and want to work but are so discouraged they have they're so discouraged they have given up looking. These three categories comprise the underemployed and in October, the most recent month for which data are available, the official underemployment rate stood at 17%. Today's snapshot from EPI's forthcoming State of Working America website, which I highly recommend you review so you can get the truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God, uh, about the the economic uh, situation here in this country. Uh, unfortunately, the Obama administration and past administrations don't really give you the full truth of what's really going on like they talk about the fiscal debt of this country right now is $14 trillion, which is correct. But what's the overall debt? What's the national debt? The national debt is over $70 trillion. They don't tell you that. I haven't heard one politician talk about that. So anyway, uh, it says here, today's snapshot from EPI's forthcoming State of Working America website shows how the number of underemployed, involuntary, part-time, and marginally attached workers has changed since 1994. So that will be some interesting uh, information for you to uh, review. Now, there's another article that I want to read. Um, now, this this is interesting because I, I was telling my family this, how people just jump to conclusions. Uh, there was a report by ADP uh, stating the fact that there were, what, I think over 90,000 uh, jobs uh, that were added. So the stock market went up, I think it was on Thursday, uh, or was it on Wednesday? I can't remember. But anyway, the, the stock market went up incredibly, up up 200 points, something like that, because people were anticipating the uh, Department of Labor report that was issued on Friday or released on Friday to be to reflect that there were at least 150,000 to 200,000 jobs because of this ADP report. Well, <laughs> when the Department of Labor uh, report came out on Friday, it showed that we only added 39,000 jobs. So economists, of course, were disappointed and so forth. But I wasn't surprised because I know, I'm reading things that perhaps most people don't focus on, but just like uh, the Feeding America website, if you go there to feedingamerica.org, it shows you approximately 41 to 42 million people are on food stamps. A lot of those people aren't working. And... As long as the Federal Reserve Bank continues to uh, issue or tell the, the Treasury Department to print out uh, money out of thin air that we don't have, that's not backed up by silver or gold, uh, increasing the money supply, the uh, prices for things are going to go up, and we're going to continue to have this, this problem. You can't loan your way out of financial problems. And that's what we're doing. This, uh, the, this, this can be really solved if we stop doing that. But unfortunately, uh, the leaders of this country don't want to sacrifice. They don't want to teach the people to sacrifice because that's what's going to take for us to get out of debt collectively as a nation. But anyway, this article, uh, it was written by, how much time do I have left here because I'm, Okay, 40 minutes. I just want to make sure I'm going. 
or on track here. Anyway, labor market falters in November. This article is by Heidi Scherholz, uh, December 3, 2010. It states here that the labor market sputtered in November, according to this morning's report by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, as employment, hours worked, and wages all flatlined, and unemployment rose to 9.8%. Payroll employment grew just 39000 while private sector employment grew by 50,000, is worth showing in 10 months. The unemployment rate for people with a college degree at 5.1% is the highest it has been in 40 years. Let me underscore that significant statement, ladies and gentlemen. The unemployment rate for people with a college degree at 5.1%, 5.1%, Yes, this is Kennard again. Uh, something happened. I got disconnected, <laughs> so I apologize on Blog Talk Radio's behalf. So anyway, I, I was talking about uh, the employment situation here, and I don't know if the elite is trying to get me off the air, but uh, I'm going to try to do the best I can here to tell people the truth. So anyway, uh says right here, the unemployment rate for people with a college degree at 5.1% is the highest it has been in 40 years. That is a significant occurrence, ladies and gentlemen. It says the hope for progress in the labor market is not materializing. And it says this surprisingly, and it's not surprising to me, but the surprisingly bleak report also hits another grim benchmark. At 19 months, is now tied with the longest stretch on record during the early 1980s recession in which unemployment did not dip below 9%. At the tail end of those 19 months in the early 1980s recession, however, the unemployment rate was already falling fast. Today's situation stands in stark contrast with the unemployment rate expected to remain above 9% through all of 2011, if not beyond. And so, you know, you you can read the rest of this article because for lack of time I can't read the whole thing, but it says labor market falters in November. Uh, is on the uh, EPI, E as an elephant, PI.org website. So uh, it's a very, very um, upsetting. Actually, right here, let me read this here. In November, there were a total of 26.6 million workers who were either unemployed or underemployed. That's sad, ladies and gentlemen. That's where we're at, and things are only getting worse, unfortunately. So... Just wanted to update you about that. Now, this uh, tour portion is pretty interesting because uh, if you, if any of you have been listening to me, you understand who Joseph is. Joseph really uh, represents the United States and the uh, United Kingdom, the British nations, uh, Canada. Well, actually, it represents the United States and uh, the U.K. And to for you to understand that, you need to go to www.britambiasandboy.com as in mother.org, look at your Davidi's website and get all the proof you need to understand that Joseph is symbolic of the Messiah, but also symbolic of those uh, two uh, countries today in these end times. But anyway, 
to summarize the uh, Torah portion, because I'm not going to have the time to go over all of it today, I'm just going to highlight key points uh, with the assistance of Chabad.org website here. Uh, it says, Joseph's imprisonment finally ends when Pharaoh dreams of seven fat cows that are swallowed up by seven lean cows, and of seven fat ears of grain swallowed by seven lean ears. Joseph interprets the dreams to mean that seven years of plenty will be followed by seven years of hunger and advises Pharaoh to store grain during the plentiful years. Pharaoh appoints Joseph governor of Egypt. Joseph marries Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, of Potiphar. And they have two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Famine spreads throughout the region, and food can be obtained only in Egypt. Ten of Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to purchase grain. The youngest, Benjamin, stays home for Jacob fears for his safety. Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they do not recognize him. He accuses them of being spies, insists that they bring Benjamin to prove that they are who they say they are, and imprisons Simeon as a hostage. Later, they discover that the money they pay for their provisions has been mysteriously returned to them. Jacob agrees to send Benjamin only after Judah assumes personal and eternal responsibility for him. This time, Joseph receives them kindly, releases Simeon, and invites them to an eventful dinner at his home. But then he plants his silver goblet, purportedly imbued with magic powers, in Benjamin's sack. When the brothers set out for home the next morning they are pursued, searched, and arrested when the goblet is discovered. Joseph offers to set them free and retain only Benjamin as his slave. So that's the Torah portion for the day and as far as the the first five books. But what I wanted to point out is this significant uh, part about the uh, the cows, the seven cows and and the, the seven grains and so forth. So let me just point out something here. Genesis chapter 41, and when Joseph interprets the dream, in verse 14 of Genesis 41, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came into the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh and said, It is not in me, God shall give Pharaoh, an answer of peace. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, In my dream, behold, I stood upon the bank of the river, and behold, there came up out of the river seven kind, fat flesh, and well-favored. And boy, are we fat and well-favored in this country, aren't we? But anyway. And they fed in the meadow, and behold, seven other kind came up after them, poor and very ill-favored, and lean flesh, such as I never saw in all the land of Egypt for badness. And the lean and the ill-favored kind did eat up the first seven fat kind. So really, the, the lean cows is <laughs> represents famine, as, as you're going to see here in a minute. Verse 20, and, and when they had eaten them up, it could not be known that they had eaten them, but they were still ill-favored as at the beginning. So I woke, and I saw in my dream, and behold, seven ears come, came up in one stalk full of gold, and behold, seven ears withered thin and blasted with east wind, with the east wind, sprung up after them, and the thin ears devoured the thin ears devoured the seven good ears, and I 
told this unto the magicians, and there was none that could declare it unto me. And then Joseph, Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good kind are seven years. So the, the seven cows represent seven years. And the seven good years are seven years. The dream is one. And the seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty years blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, show up unto Pharaoh. Okay? Now, this is interesting that this Torah portion is the Torah portion for this week based on the the, the information that I read to you about the fact that uh, we have uh, been going through uh, this. Uh, this is the third so-called anniversary of us going through this uh, recessionary stage right now. And, and it's, it's historic what we're going through. But anyway, in verse 21, it says, This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh, what God is about to do, he show up unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven, and Pharaoh represent, represents the ruler of the world here. Okay, And verse 29, Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, and there shall arise after them seven years of famine. Famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous. And for that, the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man of discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part or 20% of the land of Egypt in the seventh plenteous years, and let them gather all the food of those good years that come, and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for the store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. And this is the solution to really the problem that we have, ladies and gentlemen. But but uh, in this country, we... Unfortunately, there's too many people that are stingy, people that have the money to help people. And verse 37, And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all the servants. And Pharaoh said unto the servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Pharaoh, I mean, not Pharaoh, said unto Pharaoh, Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as you. You shall be over the house and according and to thy word shall all my people be ruled, only in the throne that I will be greater than you. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot and so forth. So this is a, somewhat of a victory for Joseph. He suffered tremendously, as you know, uh, throughout his life. And, and it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And he finished in a great way because he trusted God. So let me read what he did to prevent famine. <laughs> in verse 47 of Genesis chapter 41, And in the seven plenteous years the earth brought forth by handfuls, and he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field which was round about every city laid he up in the same, and that's what we need to do in this country right now. We need to 
to tell, inform people and, and gather up all food in the city. So when we get to a point where uh, bread is going to cost us $23 a loaf, that there will be enough food for everybody. We won't have to worry about that. We won't have to go to grocery stores and so forth. And that this is a, a biblical example that is somewhat prophetic. We need to follow the example of, of, of Joseph here. And, 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 of course, Joseph does symbolize today uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, which is the United States and Britain. We have, we, and especially in the 20th century, we have saved the world through our resources. We, at this time, must use our resources to save ourselves. Uh, and, of course, God is going to save us, but along with that, we need to repent and we need to uh, start obeying all the commandments of God, the ones that we can obey to the best of our abilities. That's what we need to do as well. But laying food in our cities is a good idea, and e each individual should start doing that. Just like, hold your place here and let's turn to uh, Hebrews. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it states, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. And so we must do the same, ladies and gentlemen. We, we have to prepare our families as best we can. Um, God is going to be the one that's going to save us, but we should do all we can. And laying up food uh, in your house, and people in the community doing that for each other nationwide is going to definitely help us because it helped it helped uh, the people of Egypt here. Uh, verse 49, And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. And until Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On bear unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said, He has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And the seven years of plentiness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. Now here's the seven years of uh, famine. And the seven years of dearth or famine began to come, began to come, according as Joseph has said, and the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he says to you, do. And the famine was all over the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses, and that's what the United States and the British nation should be. We, we should be leaders, and we should... Uh, be leaders to the world, not only in providing food, but also morality, and, and we need to start doing that. But anyway, verse 56, and the famine was all over the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all the countries came into Egypt to Joseph to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all the lands. And unfortunately, because of our sins, God will allow this economic situation to continue, to continue on until we repent. But 
if this country is not going to collectively do what Joseph did here, you have to individually do it. Do the best that you can. Uh, prepare for the tough times ahead. When these things start to happen, ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to be able to go to the grocery store. There's going to be too many people there. and People are going to be fighting each other trying to get food. So what you need to do is start to prepare and get emergency foods now while you can. That's that's what you need to do. Um, I've looked at certain statistics. I've looked at all kinds of uh, information. We are living in a time that the Bible prophesied here in Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. This is the time that we're living in. Um, there is a generation, verse 14, Proverbs 30, verse 14. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords, and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. And that's the type of generation that we live in today. And it makes no sense for the richest country in the world to allow 42 million people to be on food stamps. That's just, that's just totally inexcusable. And but that and then right now, uh, I don't know if you heard or not, unemployment benefits have been halted again, and Congress is messing around, monkeying around, and, and not uh, doing what they should do, extending those unemployment benefits. And it's just only going to get worse, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to get worse and worse and worse until we repent and be the leaders of the world that God wants us to be. So... Um, I just wanted to tell you that, and let's go over the other Torah portions here. First Kings chapter three. First Kings chapter three. First Kings chapter three, starting in verse fifteen. Says, and Solomon woke, and behold, it was a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings, and made a feast to all his servants. Then came there two women that were harlots unto the king, and stood before him. And the one woman said, O oh, my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day. After that, I was delivered, that this woman was delivered also, and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. And she rose at midnight and took my son from beside me while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son, and the dead is thy son. And this said, No, but the dead is thy son, and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. This said the king, the one said, This is my son that liveth, and, my, and thy son is the dead. And the other said, Nay, but the son is the dead, and my son is living. And the king said, Bring me a sword. And they bought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. <laughs> Then spake the woman 
whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O oh, my lord, give her the living child, and, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. And so King Solomon was king over all Israel. That's an example of when you do do use God's uh, wisdom, what will happen uh, for you and, and for other people. First uh, Kings chapter 7. beginning in verse 40. And Hiram made the lavers and the shovels and the basin. So Hiram made an end of doing all the work that he had made King Solomon for the house of the Lord. The two pillars and the two bowls of the chapters, this is talking about what he dreamed about, obviously, because he's going to be he's building the temple here, that were on the top of the two pillars and the two networks to cover the two bowls of the chapters that were upon the top of the pillars. And 400 pomegranates for the two networks and two rows of pomegranates. If you ever had pomegranates, ooh, it tastes good. For one network to cover the two bowls of the chapters that were upon the pillars and the ten bases and the ten lavers on the bases and one sea and twelve oxen under the sea and the pots and the shovels and the basins and all those vessels which Hiram made to King Solomon for the house of the Lord were bright brass. In the plain of Jordan did the king cast them and the clay ground between Succoth and Zaratan. And Solomon left all the vessels unweighed because they were exceeding many. Neither was the weight of the brass found out. And Solomon made all the vessels that pertained unto the house of the Lord, the altar of gold, the table of of gold, whereupon the showbread was, and the candlesticks of pure gold, five on the right side and five on the left, before the oracle and the flowers and the lamps and the tongs of gold and the bowls and the snuffers and the basins and the spoons and the censers of pure gold and the hinges of gold both for the door of the inner house and the most holy place and for the doors of the house to wit of the temple. So this is talking about, let me read verse 51. So it was ended all the work that King Solomon made for the house of the Lord and Solomon brought in the things which David his father had dedicated, even the silver and the gold and the vessels and he put upon the treasures of the house of the Lord. Uh, this is uh, also Jews around the world and, and those who follow the Jews, uh, Messianic Jews, and, and those Christians that do understand that the Torah must be kept and, and they keep the Shabbat and the holy days just like uh, Yeshua. Uh, those individuals and myself, because I'm, I'm, I'm a believer and, and I believe that uh, the Sabbath and the holy days should be kept like Yeshua did, uh, the Feast of Dedication, which is Hanukkah, which Christ did uh, celebrate as well, is a celebration, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Maccabees, but it's, it's a situation where uh, they fought against the Greeks at the time and they were able to uh, reestablish uh, worship of the temple. And it's kind of interesting that in this Torah portion it talks about the temple. Okay, and... Let me wish every uh, any Jew or any believer that celebrates Hanukkah a uh, happy Hanukkah. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 
you know, Hanukkah has great meaning because uh, the the uh, celebration of Hanukkah is in the context of Antiochus Epiphanes. And if you study Antiochus Epiphanes, he violated the temple, uh, uh, had a statue of of Zeus at the temple and also sacrificed or allowed uh, unclean meats like uh, pigs to be sacrificed at the altar. And Christ alludes to this. Uh, He talks about it in Matthew chapter 24 about the abomination of desolation. The first abomination of desolation was uh, what happened with Antiochus Epiphanes. But there will be another one similar to that. And Hanukkah is somewhat of a prophetic celebration as well because we know that there's going to be a future revolt against the temple in the future when the temple is rebuilt and when sacrifices are initiated again. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, because let me just go to what Christ said here in Matthew chapter 24 and to prove what I just said here. Matthew 24, he states here, um, Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, And when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. So that's referring to what Antiochus Epiphanes did. If you turn to uh, Daniel, Daniel chapter uh, 12. Daniel chapter 12. And starting in verse 11. And it says, From the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away in abomination that make a desolate set up, there should be 1,290 days. So uh, that's, that's definitely referring to uh, what Antiochus Epiphanes did, but it's also referring to a prophetic time because in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 12, it reads, And at this time shall Michael stand up, the great prince will stand up for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. So this abomination of desolation that Christ was talking about is an end-time event, although there was a, a similar event that happened that involved Antiochus Epiphanes. You have to read the Maccabees. Uh, which is an extra-biblical text, a Jewish text, to understand the, the history and the background of that. First Maccabees in the Apocrypha. All right. So First Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And I, brethren... Oh, and let me talk about the context of, of, of Hanukkah. Hanukkah uh, happened in the context of religious persecution. Uh, the Greeks persecuted the Jews at the time, and a lot of them gave their lives and so forth. They did not want them to keep the Torah. That's, what's, that's going to happen again in the future. The future anti-Messiah is going to not want or desire not to have anyone celebrate or, or keep the Shabbat and the holy days. And, and some people also are going to have to give their lives. And, but there will be some other people that will be protected as well. So anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, states this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Many people think that someone has to be perfect in their speech and and, and how they speak uh, to be servants of God, and that's not true, because Paul wasn't. He stated that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, Declaring unto you the testimony of God doesn't mean that someone can't 
have excellent of speech, excellency of speech or, or of wisdom, but that's not required, obviously, because Paul didn't have it. Verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 3, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, contrast Solomon and and then Paul. Solomon had all this wisdom, and look what, you can have all the wisdom in the world, and he did. But yet, he pushed God aside. So it's possible to, to have all wisdom, all knowledge. And let me hold your hold your place here in First Corinthians chapter two. Let's turn to uh, another scripture here. It is uh, popping in my head here. I'm trying to find the, uh, the love chapter here. Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, Though I speak with the tongues or languages of men and of angels and have not charity or love or if you don't keep the Torah, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and, and, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. So... Again, ladies and gentlemen, you you could give all your good in verse three. And though I bestow all my goods to feed, and it adds here the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Let's find out what the original Greek meaning to that word charity is, so we can get a better understanding of this. Okay, that word in original Greek means agape. Agape. It means love, affectionate regard, goodwill, benevolence. With reference to God's with reference to God's love, it is God's willful direction toward man. It involves God doing what he knows is best for man and not necessarily what man desires. In the plural, it means love feasts, public banquets of frugal kind instituted by the early Christian church and connected with the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And I don't know if it was the Lord's Supper in, what, in their context, but they're talking about Passover. It says the provisions were contributed by the more wealthy individuals and were made common to all Christians, whether rich or poor, who chose to partake. Portions were also sent to the sick and absent members. These love feasts were intended as an exhibition of mutual love, which is required by the Christian faith, but as they became subject to abuses. They were discontinued. Okay, so that can mean that. But in this context, it means that you have to have the right frame of mind. You have to to, to obey God and, and keep the Torah. And, and if you just feed the poor and yet you're murdering people, what good is that? And if you have all this knowledge and yet do what Solomon did, what good is that? You you have to to respect all of the law of God. Because what, is, what does the Bible say that love is? In Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 10, it says, Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law of the Torah. That's what love is. That's what love is. 
And many people don't understand that, and you have people have written quite a few books on what is love, and you know, the Bible tells you exactly what love is. It's keeping keeping God's commandments. That, that's what God's love is. That's what it is. So we have to be very careful uh, in reference to that, and and we have to be a doer and keep and keep the law. Um, where it says right here, it says, verse 22 of James, chapter 1, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. But if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in the glass. So, you know, you have to, to be a doer. And then in uh, the last verse of this chapter, it states that pure religion and undefiled before God and the fathers, this, to visit the fathers, fatherless and widows in their afflictions, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So that's what we must do, keep ourselves unspotted from this world and its filthiness and, and its uh, ability to, <coughs> excuse me, or the world's tendency to get us to, to get off track and, and not to uh, do what we need to do. And then in James chapter 2, Verse 10, it says, Whoever shall keep the whole Torah or, or law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And verse 11, For he that says, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not kill. But if thou commit no adultery, yet if you kill, you are become a transgressor of the law. Okay? So, going back to... I have uh, five minutes left here. First Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2, and in verse 3, he says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. People are so impressed by how someone sounds. You have to listen to the context or the content of what someone is saying and analyze that person and see whether or not that person is telling you the truth. But in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, Verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's not where your faith is at in the wisdom of men. It should always be in the power of God. You only trust a man if they are uh, following Yeshua, as in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 proves here. In verse 1, 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Be ye followers of me, and that me means Paul, as I also am of Christ. Okay, so let's go over what we're going to read next week here. I'm going to post this uh, after I get through here on the website. So, And if God willing, if everything goes okay, if the PC is working next week and, and other things in my life are okay, then I should be on next week. But if I'm not on, uh, I want you to realize that I'm going to do all I can to produce a program for the following week should something happen next week and I'm not on. But you do get notifications. For those who have uh, requested that uh, I become your friend, you do get information. Or you can just save this on your desktop, and you can always come back to it every Saturday at 2.30 Eastern Standard Time to listen to what I have to say. Or if you can't, then uh, I have many different programs in the archives on my Blog Talk radio page. Anyway, the Torah readings for next week is uh, Genesis chapter 44, 
starting in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 47, verse 27. The Hatar or Prophets section is Ezekiel chapter 37, 15 to 28, and the Brit Chadashah, or the uh, Renewed Covenant, or what people call the New Testament. It's not a New Testament. Uh, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 9 to 16. So, um, I know many people right now, not only in this country, but around the world, are suffering. Uh, we need to pray for these people. Uh, things are going to get far worse before they, before they get better, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this country has never been in the kind of debt that has been now, and these politicians are, unfortunately, a lot of them either don't know what they're talking about or they're lying to you, and they're telling you that things are going to be okay. The media, either they don't know what they're talking about or they're lying to you as well, are telling you that things are recovering, that we are in a recovery. We're not in, it's no, it's no recovery, remember this, there's no recovery economically for any nation or country if a significant percentage of the people are unemployed or underemployed. So don't let, don't be deceived by that. So with that, may God bless and keep you. And I recommend for those who want to get a real good snapshot of what's going on, not only in this country but around the world, please look at Invisible Empire. Go to YouTube.com. Type in Invisible Empire, and you'll be able to sit back and look at a two-hour, over two-hour movie that will really shed light on who the New World Order is and what they are about to do. Uh, may God bless and keep you and protect you, and God willing, I'll speak to you next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.